Amen. We are going to be back in Mark today. We took a long break from Mark. We The last time we were in Mark was, I think, March 17th was the last time we met. But we are uh, going to get back on track in that series as we go through the book of Mark. We'll be in chapter 9 this morning, picking up right where we left off. If you want to catch any of those past sermons from this series, you can find those on the church website. They're all there if you want to kind of catch up and refresh. But we'll be in Mark chapter 9. We'll start in verse 30 this morning. Just read a few verses today. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. Give everybody a second to turn there. Mark chapter 9, verse 30, and we'll read through verse 37. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for these good words. And God, there's a lot of good in what we're going to read today. And I pray that you would just let the Holy Spirit uh, guide me as I preach and teach and help me to preach in a way that's going to bring glory to you and that's going to help us to see your word and understand areas that, that maybe it can apply to our life. And God, just let your Holy Spirit convict our hearts and see things that we need to see this morning. And I thank you for being good to us and giving us a beautiful week and letting us have the freedom to come and worship you today. And I pray that uh, it'd be a blessing in these next few minutes to get to read and study your word. And I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 9, verse 30. Now, we've seen a lot uh, uh, leading uh, throughout the book of Mark of Jesus and the work that he's doing, the ministry that he's doing. And throughout the book of Mark, we've, we've seen Jesus deal a lot with the apostles, those 12 who he had handpicked who were with him. And he had really been uh, pouring into them. He had been preparing them, teaching them, uh, getting them ready to carry on his ministry after he was crucified. Now, uh, just before this, I believe in Mark chapter 8, Jesus had already told his disciples what was going to happen, that it wasn't going to be long until his life was going to be taken from him. Now, the, uh, the apostles, the disciples, the twelve that were with him, they didn't really understand exactly what was going on. But, but here in this passage that we're going to look at today, uh, he repeats this to them again. In Mark chapter 9, verse 30, it says, Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee. But he did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. Then, excuse me, they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise after three days. So, as we've seen many times throughout the book of Mark, Jesus is going all around, from town to town. Uh, in the verses before this that we looked at way back in March, uh, Jesus had healed this boy, uh, and he had been healing many people. And the disciples weren't able to heal this boy. They weren't able to get the, the demon, this evil spirit, out of this boy. Uh, and, and Jesus came onto the scene, and he was able to do it. And that's what we saw last. And after they left that place and came to, uh, and they went on their way, and they came to more places, as we've seen throughout the whole book of Mark. And here, uh, when they come through Galilee, it says that Jesus didn't want anybody to know it. Now, 
Everywhere Jesus went, there were large crowds that were always coming, uh, coming to him because he was healing the sick. He was doing these miraculous things. People were hearing his teaching. It was teaching unlike the rabbis of the day. He was preaching and teaching with authority, the scripture says. And so Jesus had really caught the attention of all the people in the area. But it says here that he didn't want others to know he was there, probably because he didn't want a large crowd together. But what was the reason for that? Because, it says, he was teaching his disciples and telling them. Not only was Jesus concerned with uh, teaching all the other people that he saw and, and healing them and all of those things that were going to open their eyes to who he was, he really wanted to make sure that his 12 got it, that they understood who he was, that their faith was strong, that they were going to be ready to continue and carry on his work after he was crucified. And so he told them plainly in this time when he was with them, it was just he, it was just the 12. And he said, look, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days later. Now that's pretty plain to us. We see that and we think, well, that's not hard to understand, right? That's easy. But it's a little easier for us because we see the whole story. We see the whole picture. We see all of God's Word kind of spelled out for us. And so this is a story we're familiar with, and we may look at verses like these, and we may say, well, how could the, how could the disciples not get this? How could they not understand this? Because it says in verse 32, but they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. So even they realized, well, man, maybe we should know what he's talking about. We've been with him for probably three years now at this time when all these things were going on. Jesus said a lot of things, and a lot of things Jesus said they didn't understand, and they would kind of be talking about it, or they would ask Jesus about it, and Jesus would go back and have to explain a parable to them. And so a lot of times they, they weren't quite sure what Jesus was saying, and here they weren't quite sure of it. Now, you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes and try to understand what was going on. Now, they followed Jesus. They trusted Jesus. They had seen Jesus do a lot of things. But if somebody were to come to you and tell you, you know, here in a little while I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be dead, but I'm going to rise three days later, well, that, that might not really connect with us either. We might say, what is he talking about? People don't die and, and, and raise from the dead. Uh, this, this would have been a, a kind of a crazy thing for them to consider. And so they weren't sure exactly what Jesus meant, even though this was the second time and, and a relatively short period, it would appear, that Jesus had told them this same information. Now, there's another reason why, too, and we don't see it here in this passage, but we do see it in Luke chapter 9, verse 45. If you want to turn there, you can. Luke chapter 9, verse 45, we see a little more detail. Now, many of these stories that we've looked at through Mark uh, you've probably noticed that we go back to these other gospel accounts, whether it be Matthew or, or, or Luke. We usually can find the same stories that are covered by all three, and typically they have a little bit different detail one from the other. And so we're doing that again today too. We're going to piece together this, these passages we're looking at with some passages from uh, the same account as covered by Luke, in this case, and Matthew in a, in a, in a future case that we're going to look at. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 45, it said, But they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so that they could not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. Now, here we have a little clue. 
they weren't necessarily just slow. It says in Luke that it was concealed from them. Now that leads me to believe that maybe God had concealed this from them. He had, he had not allowed them to understand this for some reason. Now maybe they wouldn't have been able to grasp it. Maybe they wouldn't have been able to comprehend and understand it even if they would have known exactly what Jesus is saying. Maybe knowing that information would not have been good for them at that time. But no doubt after Jesus was resurrected, they remembered these, these times that he told them. They remembered what Jesus said, and then they were probably, their eyes were open, and they were like, ah, yeah, now we get it. Now we understand. Now we see. But it says in Luke that it was concealed from them at that time. Now, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that perhaps there are things that God conceals from us today. Now, God, of course, has the power to do that, and maybe... There are even some things in God's Word that He has concealed for a reason. Now, if you are like me, you've probably read Scripture, and there are probably things in there that leave you scratching your head. And you think, boy, I just do not understand what this means. Well, it could be that through translations throughout the years and manuscripts that we use and missing parts, maybe we don't have all that we should have to come to a conclusion. Or it could simply be that there are things in God's Word that he has not revealed to us yet. Maybe there are things that he does not want us to know. Perhaps there are things that if we knew them, we would not even be able to grasp what they mean. Perhaps there are things that if we knew them, it would change the way that we live our life for the worse. Maybe uh, the things that we would do or the things that we would worry about if we were really to grasp everything in God's word, it may not be good for us. And so there may be things even today that God conceals from us. There are probably times in our life that we have information about somebody that, that we don't tell other people. Not that we're trying to be deceptive or we're trying to lie, but there are some things that just are better left unsaid. There are some things that just because you know them and they may be true, it may be beneficial for all involved if you just conceal that information to keep feelings from being hurt or to keep uh, unnecessary worry uh, to take place. Perhaps some of you have even concealed things from people. Uh, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, I see some things I don't like. Uh, it could be this dangerous, this deadly disease. We're going to do some more tests. Now, you could call all of your family and you could tell them all of those things and they would probably be worried about it. Or you may say to yourself, well, even though I know this information, I'm going to conceal it. I'm not going to tell anybody. We'll wait and see what the tests say. It may not be anything to it. And in that case, if you conceal the information and what you're concealing doesn't occur, then you've protected people around you and you've caused unnecessary worry to take place. Now, maybe that's why God concealed this from the disciples. Maybe they weren't uh, in a place where they could really grasp what was taking place and would be able to understand it uh, and, 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 and deal with it. So God concealed it from them, and God may do the same thing to us today. Continuing on in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Then they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? Now, they had been arguing along the way, and Jesus was pretty perceptive, of course. He knew everything. He always knows everything, even the things that we may think we are keeping hidden. And his disciples obviously thought that they had kept this argument they were having hidden. But Jesus knew that they had been arguing about something. Well, what had they been arguing about? Well, it tells us in verse 34, 
But they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Now, kind of imagine this situation. You've got these, these 12 who had been with Jesus, and, and they probably thought pretty highly of themselves. After all, the Messiah had pan-picked them to be his followers. And they probably had all had areas that they were gifted in and strong in. Uh, at the beginning of this, of this very chapter, there were three that Jesus had taken with him up the mountain. You may recall the story of the transfiguration. And he took Peter, James, and John with him on that occasion. And he took Peter, James, and John with him on other occasions too. Now, there was something special, obviously, that Jesus saw in these three. He was pouring a little more into them. And especially in the case of Peter, we see that uh, Peter was kind of uh, the rock that the church was built upon. And so, for whatever reason, Jesus had picked these three to go with him. And maybe these three were part of the, ar- part of the argument. Maybe they were telling the rest of them, hey, you know, Jesus likes us better. We're a little better than you guys because he always picks us. He don't pick the other nine of you. And they were probably arguing back and forth about how they were so great and how they were so good. I would imagine it being something like maybe children uh, who are arguing in the back of a car on a trip and they're arguing back and forth with each other, but they don't want mom and daddy to know because they'll get in trouble about it. And so they argue amongst themselves and whenever daddy looks in the mirror and says, hey, what's going on back there? They say, oh, nothing. Everything's good back here. They don't want the parents to know. They don't want to get in trouble because they know they're up to no good. Now, obviously, the disciples here had some conviction. They knew they were up to no good. They knew they shouldn't have been arguing about such things, and so they didn't want to tell Jesus. When Jesus called them out on it, he says, Hey, y'all were arguing back there. What what were y'all arguing about? But boy, they kept silent. They didn't want to say a word because they knew they shouldn't have been arguing about such things. They knew that that was not right. They were arguing about who was the greatest. They were concerned about how great they were. So that kind of gives us another little clue that the disciples, they still didn't quite get everything, even though though they were with Jesus and had seen Jesus do all of these great miracles. They still didn't quite get get everything that he taught. They still were thinking uh, a little too much of themselves instead of really uh, focusing on him and listening to all the things that that he had said. Now, uh, we are guilty of the same thing, even though we may read God's Word and we may know it well, It doesn't mean that we're not tempted in those same areas. It doesn't mean that we may not be tempted to think a little too much of ourselves. Uh, We may think of ourselves as being a little too great, and that pride uh, may creep in. There may be things that uh, we see in God's Word that Jesus taught pretty plainly, uh, and, and even they didn't understand it, even though they were with Him. And so there may be things that we don't always perfectly understand either. So knowing that they were talking about these things, Jesus addresses this in the next verse, verse 35. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Now this is important right here. This is, I believe, one of the most significant teachings that we see through the, through the ministry of Jesus. This idea of being humble, this idea of making sure that we don't consider ourselves to be greater than we are. They were arguing about who was the greatest, and Jesus said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. 
Now, oftentimes when we are seeking greatness in this world in a worldly sense, it's all about building ourselves up. What am I going to do for me? What is going to make me look better? What is going to make me stronger? What is going to make me the center of the ten- attention? What is going to make me have power? What is going to make me have wealth? And when we're focused on me, 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 we're not focused on other people. We do whatever we can to make ourselves look better, and we put ourselves first. And we should not be first. We should be last. And that's something that Jesus clearly teaches throughout his whole ministry. Not only does he teach that to us throughout his ministry, he lives that out for us throughout his ministry. Now, the disciples might have uh, been guilty of thinking, well, you know, we're following Jesus. We're with him all the time. We get one-on-one time. He handpicked us. Obviously, we're a little better than other people. Maybe because of our position of power, because Jesus picked us, maybe we should have some special privileges. Maybe we should set ourselves above everyone else. We should be looked to as people who are special. Maybe that temptation was there. Obviously, on some level it was there because they were arguing about who was the greatest. Perhaps not just amongst them, but amongst all people. And Jesus said, look, whoever wants to be first must be last. And whoever wants to be first must be a servant of all. Now, this is a lesson that we need to get. We don't ever want to think too highly of ourselves. We don't want to put ourselves first. We want to put Jesus first, and we want to put ourselves last. Just this week, I was reminded when I was doing one-minute message of my fifth-grade class. Now, if you listen to it, you already heard it. This is redundant, but some of you may not have heard it. When I was in fifth grade, I had a teacher, Miss Blaylock. She was a good teacher. We did all kind of good stuff in that class, and I remember lots of good memories from the fifth-grade class. I remember that I almost won the class spelling bee one year, which was a huge thing. I never really did good in ac- academic stuff, so the fact that I was in the final two was a great thing. And she called out the word that I was to spell, and it was torpedo. And somehow I misspelled it. I don't know. But I learned that day how to spell torpedo, but that was not the most important lesson that I learned when I was in fifth grade. I remember one day Miss Blaylock told us what it means to serve the Lord and how we serve the Lord, how God wants us to serve. And she said, Do you, if you want joy in your life, I'm going to tell you how to get it. Now, I want joy in my life. You're probably all saying, yeah, I want joy in my life. And she told us this. She said, look, if you want joy in your life, Write joy down on a piece of paper. And she said, out by the J, write Jesus. And out by the O, write others. And out by the Y, write yourself. She said, if you live your life in a way that you put Jesus first, and you put others second, and you put yourself last, she said, you're going to find joy in your life. Now, I remember that all the way from fifth grade. That's about the only thing I remember from fifth grade. But that's far more important than anything academic I could have ever learned in fifth grade. And I think that that's exactly what Jesus says over and over again in his ministry. In such a simple way, that's what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we want to serve Jesus in the way he calls us to, we must put Jesus first in our life. We must put others second in our life, and we must put ourselves last. But boy, it's so tempting to put ourselves first, right? Because we may fall into that same temptation that the apostles did here, that they want to be great. Sometimes people may even tell us that we're great, and that doesn't help at all. That just inflates our pride, and we begin to think it even more. 
But we have to realize that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not to look at ourselves as great, but we are to humble ourselves and follow the example of Jesus Christ. We are not to think we are better than everyone else in the world. We are to view ourselves as a servant to others that we encounter. In our daily lives and in our church lives, we need to realize that we are all one in Jesus Christ and that He is the head. He is the one that we look to and that we don't put one another above other people, that we don't fall into the trap of thinking too highly of ourselves and thinking too little of others, that we don't think of ourselves as being great, but that we think of ourselves as being servants, as we think of ourselves as those who God has called to serve. Not to be served. God didn't call Christians to be served. He called Christians to serve. That's why it's important for us Christians that we do things to help other people in this world, both individually in our lives and as a church. We find opportunities that we can help other people, that we can serve other people, that we can realize that we are not too good to do any job, that we are not above any job, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how dirty and nasty it may be, we are not above anything because God calls us to be servants of all. If we give in to that temptation, though, and begin to think too highly of ourselves, these opportunities that God puts before us, we may say, I'm not doing that. That's too dirty. That's too scary. That's too dangerous. I'm better than that. But that's not what Jesus called us to. Jesus said, look, if you want to be first, you must be a servant to all. Now, this was an important lesson that Jesus taught to his disciples, and it's an important lesson that he teaches for you and I as well. Verse 36 Then he took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Now, this part about Jesus taking a child, it's it's kind of tough for us maybe to understand exactly what he's saying here. But it's a a little easier for us when we begin to look at other gospel accounts we get an explanation of what Jesus says here. Now, it says he took a child and had him stand among them and said, whoever welcomes one little child such as this, in my name welcomes me. Now, what was the the purpose that Jesus was saying here? Was he simply just saying love children? Well, I do believe Jesus loves children. I believe that Jesus wants us to love children. But in Mark's account, we just have a little brief snippet of what he said there without without further context about what he meant about this child. But if you flip to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Well, we'll start, we'll just do uh, verse 3. Let's just do verse 3 and 4. Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4, we see this connection that Jesus was making. Now, oftentimes Jesus spoke in parables, He used things around to make illustrations, whether it was bushes or plants or trees or whatever it may be. Jesus always used uh, different things around to make illustrations. And in this instance, he uses a child to make an illustration, to make a point. But Mark doesn't really expound upon the point that Jesus is trying to make. But in Matthew's uh, account of, of Jesus talking about a similar thing here, we see what Jesus was trying to get across to his uh, apostles in Mark chapter 9. In Matthew 18, verse 3, Jesus said, I assure you, he said, 
unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, uh, when he says converted there, uh, he says unless you, unless you turn from the way you're going is what the, the actual Greek word means there. Unless you turn from where you are and become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the case of the apostles in Mark chapter 9, where were they? Well, they were at a point where they were thinking too highly of themselves. They were thinking of themselves as being great. They were not putting Jesus first and others first. They were more concerned about how good they were going to look. Now, if we use what Jesus says in Matthew 18 and apply it to Matthew 19, it makes sense. It fits with the situation. What Jesus says is if you don't turn from where you are and become like a child, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does he mean when he says become like a child? Well, thankfully, Jesus tells us exactly what he means in the next verse. Verse 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what's the key that Jesus is talking about? It's humility. He says, become like this child. What does it mean to become like this child? To humble yourself like this child. Jesus says in Matthew 18, unless you turn from where you are and humble yourself, then you're not going to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I believe that that goes along perfectly with what we have been reading in Mark chapter 9. That was the problem with the apostles. They had not humbled themselves. Instead, they were proud. They were worried about their greatness. And Jesus uses that same illustration uh, in chapter 9 when he says in verse 36, Then he took a child and had him stand among them. And taking him, he said in his arms, he said, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name. So we see that connection there that Jesus makes in Matthew 18 when he's talking about a child. Now we're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks in the following verses because there's more to that illustration of the child. But the illustration, it appears that Jesus was making here, is that he was calling his disciples to be humble. And that would fit the very context of what he's saying here in Mark uh, 9. They were not humble. And Jesus says, look, you must humble yourself. You must not be concerned about being the greatest. You instead must humble yourself and be concerned with being a servant to those you encounter. Now again, Jesus is not one who's just telling the disciples what to do. He's always showing the disciples what to do. He's always showing them by his very actions that he is putting other people first. And he shows that to us in the most perfect way possible when he gave his life on a cross so that we could be forgiven that he didn't consider his life as more important than others. He considered that if he gave his life, that the importance was that others could be saved. He didn't say, look, I'm the son of God. I don't have to do this. If there was anybody who ever had reason to say, look, I am above this. I am the creator of, the, of everything. All things are made through me. Jesus could have said that. But instead, he humbled himself and did not consider himself to be more important than others. And we need to follow that example. We need to say, okay, there's nothing that God can call me to that, he's, that, that, that I'm too good for, that I don't have the ability to do, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how difficult it may be. God called me not to think too highly of myself that I don't have to do whatever it may be, but instead he called me to be a servant to all and to learn humility. And perhaps that's a lesson that some of us need to learn too. Maybe we fall into that same temptation that the apostles fell into in these verses. He says in verse 37, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. 
And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Now, here we see this relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. We see that really throughout all of Jesus' ministry. We see that throughout all of Scripture. It was God in the Old Testament who pointed people toward the Messiah who was coming. He said, look, I'm sending one. I'm sending the Messiah. We saw at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was baptized uh, that, that God, the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. Uh, in the uh, transfiguration, uh, as Peter, James, and John were there, they heard a voice. When, uh, when Moses and Elijah disappeared and only Jesus remained, a voice came from heaven. And it says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. We see this relationship where God the Father is always pointing people to Jesus the Son because He is the way and no one comes to the Father but by Him. On the flip side, you see the same with the Son. The Son is always pointing the attention back to the Father. Jesus is always pointing the attention back to God. And Jesus says such a thing here in this verse we look at. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but Him who sent me. God pointed to Jesus because Jesus was the way and Jesus pointed us to God and he's the only way that we can get to God. We see this relationship all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of God and of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of good stuff that we can take from this passage today. Perhaps there are times that God conceals things from us, things that are for our own good, things that he has not revealed, things that maybe one day he will help us to understand and see in a way that we can grasp and understand them. Uh, but perhaps there are some things that uh, God just does not want us to know at this point in time. Perhaps we may fall into the temptation of thinking ourselves too great. Uh, we may think ourselves so great that we fail to do the very thing that Jesus has called us to do, and that is to be a servant of all. And what does Jesus say to do when we have that mindset? Jesus says, look, humble yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Humble yourself so that you can be part of the kingdom. Humble yourself that through me you can come to the Father. And perhaps we need to take a look at our life. We need to reflect on our life. And we need to say, uh, see if we are carrying out the very thing that Jesus called us to do. And that is to put God first, to put others second, and put ourselves last. And if we find ourselves guilty of putting ourselves first, then we just need to take a step back and we need to turn around. We need to be converted, as the, as the text says, and turn from our ways and humble ourselves and seek Jesus Christ, the very Savior who gave his life for us so that we could be forgiven. If you've never humbled yourself before Jesus before, maybe today you need to do so. Maybe today you need to acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you can't do things on your own. And maybe you're not as great as you thought you were. Maybe you need to humble yourself and say, look, God, I'm not going to trust in my own greatness anymore. I'm going to trust in the greatness of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and the life that He gave so that I could be forgiven of my sins. If you've never, never humbled yourself before the Lord, today is the day you need to do it. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these words. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be great, not in our own abilities, but to be great in Jesus Christ through His greatness through the life that he gave on the cross so that we could be forgiven. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us to not worry about things in the Bible that maybe we don't quite understand. Maybe there are some things in there you don't want us to understand. So help us to understand what we can and understand the thing that's most important, and that is Jesus Christ, that he gave his life so we could be forgiven. Dear Lord, I pray that you help us not to fall into the, the sin of pride and the temptation of thinking ourselves too great 
and above anything you may call us to do, dear Lord. There's nothing that's beneath us. You call us to be a servant. And sometimes we have to get our hands dirty, and sometimes it's hard, dear Lord. But let us never be too proud to think so much of ourselves that we miss opportunities of service that you call us to. And I pray that if there is one in this room today that has not humbled themselves before Jesus, that they would do so, that they would repent of their pride, that they would repent of their sin, dear Lord, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ today as Lord and Savior and follow through in baptism just as he commands. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 434. God's spoken to you today and you need to respond, you can pray where you are. If you need me to pray for you, I'll be glad to pray for you. Maybe today you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now is an opportunity for you to do that.